0: The text for this day is taken from Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the text. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. As a quick note on that hymn, I know there's, like, towards the middle of that second line, the second-to-last line is a little tough, but I don't know if any of you noticed, were to glance at it, did you notice how old that hymn is? The author of it was a guy named Columba. He lived from 521 to 597 A.D. So... So you're talking about it's about a 1,400-year-old hymn. So... Remember, the United States is not quite 250, or 250 yet, or whatever it is. So, but anyways. Come, Lord Jesus. Those are the very last words of the book of Revelation, and therefore they are the very last words of the entirety of the scriptures. And they are words that I feel like we will be saying forever, well, basically till he returns. And after a week like this week, you feel it. So, you're probably well aware of what's been going on in our world, what you've seen on the news. There was in Buffalo, New York, a little over a week ago, at a shopping market. There was an individual, an 18-year-old individual, who went in who had patterns of racial, racist tendencies, and he shot 10 individuals and murdered them. A few days later, this past Tuesday, in Uvalde, Texas, a town just a little bit bigger than Denison, on the same day that our kids were, on their last day of school, those, kids, those parents, in the morning, they sent their kids off to school, probably telling them, have a good day, see you at the end of the day, eat your, eat your, you know, eat your dinner, um, don't get in trouble, you know, whatever. But they never got to, for for 19 of those kids, They never made it to the end of that school day, as they were murdered by another individual. It is when you see these tragedies, these evils happen, that you can't help but shout out and throw up the prayer of old. I I know that our media likes to… our world is cursing and putting down the idea of prayers, but. If your God can't do anything about it, he's not a God. So we're talking about the God who you know, we just talked about. He's the Alpha. That means he created the heavens and the earth with just a word. If you don't think he's a guy to talk to, you have a really small God. But the, the prayer that has been shouted throughout the centuries is Kyrie Eleison, which means Lord have mercy. A simple phrase, for when we do not quite have the words to express the grief, the anxiety, we simply say, Lord, have mercy. For those times when words are not sufficient. But but the Holy Spirit knows your mind, he knows your intent, and he hears and he answers. this past now the temptate the thought is that when we have tragedy in the world our thought is we should turn to the church for good news and yes indeed but sadly this week churches have not been the have been the source of bad news as well this week out of the southern baptist convention There have been arising scandals involving abuse by pastors that have been covered up. I saw the video of a pastor in Indiana. He was up on stage and he admitted to his affair of like 20 some odd years. And weirdly, the congregation applauded it. If that ever happens, don't applaud the pastor for doing it. That's not something to applaud for. But the next thing that happened, though, was the girl that he had an affair with. turned out it wasn't really an affair. It was grooming and manipulation, as that affair had happened since she was 16 years old. And he had taken her innocence from her on the floor of his office at the church. It's so when I see stories like that, My first thought was, where's that meteor when you could use it? Or more specifically, come Lord Jesus. What horror to be brought upon the church. I don't know if you realize this, the Southern Baptist Convention is the second largest church body in the country. The largest church body is the Roman Catholic Church. So that means both the two largest church bodies in the United States has these scandals. And I really wish I could tell you that these things never happen in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now fortunately, we don't have records of covering it up if it ha- our church is pretty strict. But I wish I could say that these evils never happen. In fact: Those who are familiar with the history of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod knows that when we first migrated to the United States, our first and only bishop was a guy named Martin Stephan, and the way he was re- reason he was removed because was because he had multiple affairs with the wives of his parishioners. Now we don't we don't react the same way as we did back then. Back then. You were you're were put on the you were put on the Mississippi River and set over to Illinois. And so that's how they did it then. But we have our own history. And when you see these things happening in the church, you can't help but say, Come, Lord Jesus. Last night here we had our we used evening prayer. And The way evening prayer service begins with is a service of light. Now, we don't do that here in the morning because it's the morning. And it doesn't look, when it's all bright and sunny out, the service of light looks weird. So, but it's a very, very ancient service. If you've ever been to the Easter vigil, you've seen it, a version of it. It's way back in the earliest days of the church, they would get services usually took place in the late hours of the evening or the really early hours of the morning, when the sun had gone down. And they would meet either in catacombs or caves or in people's houses. And so they'd gather in the pitch black of the night. And and they couldn't see anything. Now, they didn't really need to because, for one, they had everything pretty much memorized. That's kind of one of the reasons why we have some repetition. There's parts of our service you hear every week. It's also the purpose of chanting. Chanting is conducive to memorization. If you don't believe me, how did you learn the ABCs? You learned it by A, B, C, D. You didn't go A, B, C. You chanted it. Schools use chants to remember. Not a surprise that the church does the same. But they begin at the beginning, the pastor the priest begins in the back and says Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The congregation responds back the light that no darkness has overcome. And then he comes and stops in the middle Stay with us Lord for it is evening and the day is almost over. And then he comes forward again. And they say more words. And then finally, the pastor holds the candle. He holds the candle. He lifts it high for everyone to say. And he says, Joyous light of glory of the immortal Father. That hymn is the oldest hymn that we have. It's a hymn that dates to the time of the New Testament. It would have been sung by the apostles. And they sang it because they were in the midst of persecution. Every day they were hearing about another friend or family member who was being executed. Those who were in Rome were watching the burning bodies of fellow Christians lighting the streets of Rome. Their own family, their own friends were handing them over to be executed. They were living in... in, uh, In a state of fear, of uncertainty. And so they gathered in that darkened room, and they saw that single candle, and they heard those words, it was a confession. That Jesus is indeed the light of the world that no darkness can overcome. In other words, no matter how dark the world was, it cannot overcome the light that is Christ. That's why they said that every single week. Every time they gathered, they did that service, that hymn. It was a confidence, assurance. The Apostle John is the one who wrote the book of Revelation. He's the one that writes these words, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Now, you have to imagine that that anxiety for Jesus' return is probably building up at this point. At this point, John is probably in his 80s or maybe even in his 90s. When he was with Jesus, during Jesus' ministry, he was 15 years old. So he was a teenager. Granted, teenager is kind of a modern concept, but you get the idea in age. He's 15 years old, and the thing is, is he was a witness to a great deal of Jesus's ministry. He was there when Jesus was baptized. He was there when Jesus performed a number of all, most of his miracles. He was there for the Mount of Transfiguration, so he was on that mountain, saw Jesus glowing a glorious light, and the voice from heaven saying, "This is my son." He was also there when Jesus was arrested. He was there when he saw one of his own friends, Judas, betray Jesus. He was there for the trial of the Sanhedrin. Because I don't know if you noticed, in the Gospel of John, there's two apostles that followed Jesus to the trial. One was John, the other was Peter. John even went inside. And so John witnessed the trial, the unjust trial of it. He saw them strike Jesus across the face. He saw them spit on Jesus' face. He was there for the trial before Pilate, and Pilate insisting over and over again to let Jesus free, because he knew Jesus was innocent and deserved no punishment. John witnessed it all. He even heard the crowd say, that they, would, that they have no king but Caesar. Which, by the way, if you, know, if you ever research on Tiberius Caesar, you'll realize how horrible that was that they would say that. Tiberius Caesar was a very wretched man. And the people, the leaders, were more willing to accept him as their king than let Jesus free from crucifixion. John may not, I don't know if he saw the flogging, but we know that he would have seen the results of it. Jesus' body torn, flesh ripped. He would see as Jesus failed to carry the cross and needed help. He would see as the nails would go into his hands and into his feet. In fact, it's because of the Gospel of John that we know that Jesus was nailed to the cross. It's the only one that has the details of the nails. He was there to hear, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." He was there to hear him say to the other thief, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." He was there to hear the words, "Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani?" Which literally means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? He heard the words, into your hands I commit my spirit. He heard the words, Father, he says, it is finished. And he also bore witness to the spear driven into his side from which the blood and the water poured. Letting John know that Jesus was dead. He saw the dead Jesus. And he knew he knows what it was like that Saturday. He placed all of his chips with this Jesus, and he's now dead. On that Saturday, he experienced that. That grief, that doubt, that fear. When are the Romans going to come for them? When are the the leaders going to come for them? Imagine that fear. And looking at one another as all of them had abandoned him during the time of his arrest. Peter struggling with the fact that he denied Jesus. Not to mention come to terms with the fact that one of your own friends led the betrayal. But he was also there on that Sunday when Mary and the other women came to tell him that the tomb was empty, that the body wasn't there. And it actually tells us in the Gospel of John that that John ran to go to the tomb. And he makes sure to let everyone know throughout history that he got there first. And he looked in. The tomb was empty. The cloth was folded up. He didn't yet believe that Jesus rose but he believed the testimony that the tomb was empty. He heard he was there to witness Mary Magdalene when she came back and said that she had seen the Lord. She was there in the upper room when he himself, that when Jesus would appear and say peace to you. He would be there again when Jesus appeared to Thomas. He would be there on the beach as he had breakfast with Jesus. He would experience many appearances of Jesus risen from the dead over the course of 40 days. He was there when Jesus ascended into heaven and he was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended and they began to proclaim the gospel. But that all happened 70, 80, possibly, let's say 70 to 80 years before he wrote these words in Revelation. Could you imagine? He knows. He knows what's going to come. He has every reason for hope because he saw Jesus dead. He saw Jesus alive, physically risen. He saw the wounds. He saw the marks. But he saw him risen from the dead. He knows that Jesus conquered death. He knows that he conquered sin. He knows that he conquered the devil. And therefore he can say with hope, Amen, come Lord Jesus. But he also knows that anxiety. He knows the, the challenge of waiting that long surrounded by executions, surrounded by persecution. And it's why these are words still for us as we struggle with this world. And I wish that we, as a culture, were on our best behavior when bad things happen. We are not. We have become so toxic that prayer is condemned. So toxic that how many times have I heard people say, oh, you must be okay with children being murdered? It is insane how many times I've heard that. It's really, really sad that we have got to t- we are in a culture where we have worshipped our politics to such a degree that we cannot see the humanity in one another. We only see, we only place evil upon others. We may disagree about how to deal with those evils, but I don't know anybody that is okay with it. You may disagree, but that does not mean the other person's okay with it. But somehow we think it. And yes, I'll admit, one side's a little bit worse these days, but not always. It's, it, goes, it goes back and forth. But that is what we live in in this world. And so we still say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus did not leave us as orphans. When he ascended into heaven, he didn't say, good luck guys, I hope you make it. He went up into heaven, he told them, wait here in Jerusalem. And by the way, do you know what Sunday is next Sunday? Pentecost, which means it's all we're gonna, you're going to see all the red. Before it's green for a very long time. But it's going to Pentecost. And so they're told to wait in Jerusalem. Because on that day the Holy Spirit was going to come to them. And they would receive him. And he, their helper, the helper, would give them strength. So also, the Holy Spirit still comes to you. That, that candle was extinguished. Do you know when there's only, there is an occasion in which it would be lit in between now and Christmas? Can anybody guess when? If there's a baptism. In fact, we actually have one in a couple weeks. When a child is baptized, that is lit. Why? Because Christ comes specifically to that individual. Or they're clothed in the Holy Spirit. They're clothed in Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism. When I was growing up, when I went through confirmation, when I was in confirmation, back in the '90s, and you're, some of you are like, "That's not that long ago." Remember, that's almost 30 years ago. Not to make you feel older, <laughs> but when I was, when, the way we actually had it was. We, my pastor would actually light the Christ candle before anybody got to church. And the whole idea was, was for the acolyte, was they didn't need, we didn't use a lighter. We would bring the taper and we'd always light off of the Christ candle. And there was a reason for this tradition. It's that from, the, from there you'd start to light the back candles. And you'd light the altar candles. Why? Because Christ's presence was not limited to those 30-some-odd those years in, in Judea. He is present in the bread and the wine and in the, in the Lord's Supper. That's why those are lit on a communion Sunday, to let you know that Christ is present in, with, and under the bread and wine for the forgiveness of your sins, for the strengthening of your faith. It is lit on the wall every time you gather because he comes to you in the word. This is why you need to hear the word. And one of the traditions of that service of light I talked about before is that everybody would have their own candle that would be lit from it. To remind you that you too bear the light of Christ. You are a light unto the world. Jesus does not leave us as orphans. He gives us his word. He gives us his sacraments, by which he comes to you regularly, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to forgive you, and lead you into the world as his witness. And when you look at the abuses of the churches. There is a reality that the Church, like any other institution, is filled with sinners. And I saw a TikTok video yes last night about this situation in the Southern Baptist Convention. And somebody said, the Church needs to be better than this, and true. But you have to remember, even Jesus had Judas. There is no Church. That's completely immune. As long as you have sinners. Evil is possible. The devil does not like the church. He hates the church. And do you think he sits back and lets you go? No. He is going to attack right here. He's working overtime on you right now. He is working on you. Because the one thing he does not want you to do, is to keep doing this. He does not want you to keep hearing the word. He does not want you to be mindful of your baptism. He does not want you to receive the Lord's Supper. He wants you as far away from Christ as possible, because he wants you to focus on one another. Yes, we are to serve one another, but our hope is not in him, is not in one another. Our hope is in Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our hope. In him we rest. Not others, but we bring his hope to others. As long as there is sin, we are capable of letting one another down. But he isn't. He has redeemed you. He has conquered sin and death. And so we could say with hope and faith, Come, Lord Jesus. In his name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting.